So here's how we'll start this morning. I just want to ask a question, and you can answer by show of hands, and we're gathering with the church, so honesty is encouraged. And in this church, I just want to let you know, you can be honest, because there are no perfect people here. We're all a work in progress, but we're making progress through the grace of God. So how many of you would agree with this statement, and if you're online, you can just type it in the chat, that generally speaking... You do not have enough time to do everything you would like to do. Show of hands, show of hands. That is most of us in the room online. I don't have enough time to do what I'd like to do. Whether that is keeping up with the never-ending expansion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or watching every basketball game possible on Saturday or just trying to get your kids to one more activity that they'd really enjoy we often find ourselves with more opportunities and more things to do than we do time available to do those things. So, how do we typically navigate this tension in our lives? Well, this is what we normally do, and I have to illustrate an awesome Ziploc bag, which I'll eventually get open. There we go, it's open. And giant, glorious puffed marshmallows. How many of y'all like giant marshmallows? Like, don't give me little tiny things. I want a big flipping marshmallow. So this is what we normally do with, with our time. We have stuff going on. You know, you maybe have your relationship with the Lord. If you're married, that's another thing in there. If you got kids, we'll just say that's two things, because even if it's one, it feels like two, just never-ending stuff. And then, of course, you've got a job, right? You got a job, so we got we got that in there. And Life's pretty full, and then we've got hobbies, and we're just going to shove that in there. And then we've got a vacation that we really need to take, and it's going to be exhausting, but we're going to take it anyway. And then we've got other things going on. We've got friendships to keep up with. Up with. We've got social media to keep up with, all 75,000 different platforms. You've got to post on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, and it's all got to be perfect. And so before you know it, you're just kind of squeezing stuff in there, and the bag no longer really holds it anymore. But then, then, you know, I've got other things I want to do on the weekend and stuff, and now you're just kind of a big, big, big overfull mess, and the bag, it's nice and ripped there. It doesn't really do what it's supposed to do anymore, and what we often do is we just take another thing, another thing comes up, another opportunity, another activity, and our life is already way too full, but we're just kind of stuffing and pushing, and things aren't really working, and hon, you can bring me the baby wipes now because my fingers are sticky. You would not believe how sticky these things are when you start squishing them with your hands and stuff, so thank you, thank you, that helps. I do wonder, though, this morning, and you don't have to answer by show of hands, just thinking about it, how many of you feel like that's your life? Got way too many opportunities, way too much going on, and our solution is we just just cram stuff in, we squish things in, we crave efficiency, which is why it is godly to take one trip with all the groceries from the car to the house. Any guys resonate with that? Like you crave, like you are more spiritual if you do that, right? But our our lives end up looking 
kind of like this, don't they? Just cram stuff in. We crave efficiency. We just end up getting up earlier. We stay up later in the name of getting one more thing done, in the name of going just a little faster. And just like you stuff enough marshmallows in here and the bag rips and you can't even close it, the more we try to do, the faster we try to go, this is what ends up happening with our lives. We end up spiritually depleted because, yeah, you might have put your relationship with God in here first, but when you got all this other stuff on top of it, it's, it's compressed. You don't really have the margin to have a, a deep, fulfilling, close walk with Jesus. You're spiritually depleted. And chances are, more than likely, you've crowded out other spiritual things, maybe even church. You're relationally shallow because since you have to get to the next thing, you don't really have the time to actually enjoy somebody's company. And in some cases, you're actually physically ill. You're anxious. You're stressed. You're exhausted. You're fast-tracking to burnout because it's just one more thing, and it's just one more thing, and it's just one more thing, and we do it in the name of, well, I want a full life, and I want everything life has to offer, but here's where we end up. We end up in a hurry to live a life, and man, we don't even really enjoy So why do we do this? Because I think chances are, if, if you were to be asked the question, man, do you think you have too much to do? Yeah, I got too much to do. Do you think you maybe ought to slow down? Yeah, I probably ought to slow down. Like, we know kind of instinctively that it's not good for us to cram one more thing in there, and, and yet we do it, and the question is why? And typically, the reason that we continue to cram, even when we ain't got any more room to cram, really boils down to one thing, and that's fear. We fear disappointing people. We fear saying no, and we fear their displeasure, and even on the extreme end, we fear loss of relationship. And so, even though I really don't want to go to my second niece's, nephew's, cousin's, best friend's birthday, I was asked, and so I'll do it, even though I don't really have time. And I hate being there, but I'll do it anyway. We fear disapproval, and so we do the one more thing, or perhaps more likely, we just fear missing out. We fear, well, if I don't do this thing now, I'll never get to do it. Or if I don't do this thing for my kids, my kids will miss out. And I just can't bear the thought of that. And so we drive ourselves and we push ourselves and we cram things in in the name of having a full life. But let me just tell you this. This isn't a full life. It's a dysfunctional life. And we can often tend to think that a full life means, man, my calendar is full and I'm doing one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. But the truth is this, a truly full life doesn't happen with a full calendar. A truly full life, a life that is thriving, a life that is abundant, a life that is healthy, 
does not happen with a calendar that is crammed full. Where the driving question in your mind is, how can I just get a little more efficient to get one more thing in? It's not a full life. It is a dysfunctional life. It's an unhealthy life, and it's not a life where you're thriving. It's a life where, in some cases, literally you're killing yourself. That's not the life Jesus wants for us. The life Jesus wants for us, it's summed up in this. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, guys, and we say this all the time, Jesus didn't just show up to get you a ticket to heaven. He didn't come to give you eternal life that starts when you step into eternity. Man, he came to give you eternal life starting now. He came to give you abundant, overflowing life now. And it's not this. It's something very different. It's a better way. And he tells us what that is in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. He says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so let's talk about the word abide. We talked about that last week if you were here, but abiding carries this idea of relationship that is marked by closeness, that's marked by intimacy, security, trust. Jesus is talking about a close, intimate relationship with himself. And in verse 5, he goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever abides in Jesus bears much fruit. The idea is this, and we're going to you know, harp on this the next few weeks. Abiding leads to abundance. Or you could even think of it like, man, a full life does not start with, man, I'm packed to the max and then some of stuff to do. A truly full and abundant and thriving life starts with closeness with Jesus. And so through this series, we're, we're breaking down, like, what does abiding actually look like practically? And then we'll talk about what abundance looks like practically. And in John 15, 9, that we looked at last weekend, we started looking at the mindset or, or the posture of abiding. And, and this is what it is, verse 9 of John 15. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so last week we talked about the, the mindset of abiding is this. I don't have to go and do a whole bunch of stuff for God for him to be happy with me. The way the Father loves Jesus, which is unconditional, independent of performance, is the same way the Father loves me through Christ. And so my mindset is not, I've got to go and do all this stuff. It's no, my purpose primarily as a human being is to receive the Father's love through Christ and then just rest in that. 
And that changes everything. It moves me from striving spiritually to resting. And then a few verses later, Jesus starts to give us a look into what the overflow of abiding with him is. In fact, verse 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now that sounds like a full life, right? And we'll unpack that in a much more detail next weekend, that the first part of abiding is a life that is characterized by joy, independent of your circumstances, and that's not like, you know, rainbows and ponies and everything is good as all the time. It is this deep abiding sense of literally joy that no matter what happens, I have joy that overflows from my closeness with Christ, independent of anything else that happens. That sounds like abundant life. And then we see in the next verse, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he tells us what that looks like in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I don't know about you, but being able to love somebody the way Jesus loved me, sacrificially, selflessly, generously, man, that sounds like abundant life. And so what we'll talk about next week and the week following is, man, abundance is primarily joy. That's the mindset or the posture of an abundant life. The practice of an abundant life is loving other people the way Jesus loves us. And then in week five of this series, we'll talk about that ultimately, the, for lack of a better word, the product of an abundant life that overflows from joy and loving others is a life where you deeply impact other people. And you make a profound difference in their lives. Like that's a full, abundant life. That's the life Jesus wants for us. I would say that's the life. We, we all want that, right? We would love to just be joyful all the time, right? We'd love to be unflappable. When stuff happens, it's like, man, it's not that I just am cavalier about stuff, but man, I have joy in Christ. We would love to be able to selflessly and sacrificially love people all the time, yes? And it's hard to do that sometimes, yes? Yes, it is. And we would love for our lives to really genuinely matter deeply and have purpose and meaning. It's what Jesus wants for us. But I want us to think about this. For you to experience joy in your life, does this produce a lot of joy, yes or no? No. That birthday party that you just have to get to or that thing that you have to go do, that one more thing, are you happy going to that? You're a little bitter. And then when you see the people at that thing, can you really love them the way Jesus loved them? No, you might be a little passive aggressive or that sort of thing and be like, well, I've got all this other stuff to do, but you know, I had to be here because I just can't disappoint Aunt Susie. Now, you will have an impact in this life, but it won't be the one you want. In fact, if I can just kind of get up in your business in a nice way real quick, that life has a huge impact on the people closest to you, spouse, kids, 
best friends in the most negative way possible. Because we're so busy trying to cram one more thing in, we're moving so fast that we're never actually present with the people in our lives that matter most. And in the name of having a full life and just doing one more thing and one more thing and one more thing, we wake up one morning to find that in the name of having a full life, I'm distant from my spouse, my kids no longer want to come home, and I'm kind of cold towards God and the things of God. The reality is this. We mentioned that a full life doesn't happen with a full calendar, but it's actually worse because truthfully, a full calendar, it leads to an empty soul. Because there's no joy in it. You're not loving people. And the impact you leave is decidedly negative. And you know the ironic thing is? We don't get this because we go and do a whole bunch of bad things. We get this trying to do a bunch of great things, a bunch of fun things, a bunch of good things, but the impact is not really what we want. I'll give you a great example. Um, last year, my wife and I went out to Anaheim for a little pastor's and pastor's wife thing, and it was supposed to be life-giving. So, so here's kind of how this worked out. We set the tone for this life-giving, relaxing, first time away from the kids by ourselves in like a year which that's a big deal. If you have kids and you know like time with your spouse, no kids, that's a precious commodity. We set the tone by leaving for the airport at 3.30, necessity. Well, then we ended up running a little bit behind. We had to sprint to the gate to catch our flight. The flights in of themselves were not bad. When we landed in Anaheim, we were told that we had to wait three hours for a rental car that I'd already reserved, and then magically one appeared when I told them I was going to go to the competition. Isn't it funny how that works? The 36 hours there was great. Then we had to get back to the airport, drive in Anaheim traffic. By the way, anybody from California here in the room watching online, watching online, you are godly if you drive anywhere around the metropolitan area of California. They have like eight lanes going one direction. They have exits that happen in the middle of this thing. Like, it's mind-bending. I hated it. I'm amazed I did not lose my salvation in the middle of driving through that. So the driving was stressful. Everything else was good, but we get back to the airport. We figure out where to leave things. And then, because it's time change weekend, and we have a red-eye flight on time change weekend, like, like by the way, just, just this is helpful information. Pony up and just buy first class, because you'll never sleep on coach. You can't, like, I was like, well, you know, a flight from 11 Pacific time to 7 Eastern time, I'll just sleep on the plane. Doesn't work like that. So we got back, we're exhausted, then time change happens. It took us two weeks to recover from vacation. Supposed to be relaxing, and I spent two weeks recovering from it. Anybody ever had a vacation like that? Like that, oh, come on, come on, people. You have a vacation, you get home, you're like, I need a vacation from vacation. 
Isn't it funny that in our effort to like even do good things and relax, we often end up with this? Trying to do good stuff. Even good stuff for God. In fact, we see that in Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there. This is the story we read. It starts in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. That's a great thing. Inviting Jesus into your house, inviting Jesus into your life, is literally the best thing going. It will change your life. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. So, question there. Why is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and why is Martha serving? Well, Martha knows there are cultural expectations. That when you're a host, you're to be a great host. You make sure you have a great meal. So she's bouncing around, doing everything. Mary, from her perspective, is taking a ticket. And I don't know how many of you have siblings. Siblings? Who has siblings? Who has siblings online? Just type, I have a sibling. How many of you have ever had the moment when you're working your butt off, your brother or sister's taking a ticket? Had that moment? You feel a lot of joy towards your brother or sister in that moment? When I was growing up, we had a dishwasher. Its name was Dylan. We also had a dish dryer. Its name was Robert. He's my twin brother. I would wash the dishes. He'd go and he'd be watching a ball game, which is fine. It takes a while to get a pile going. Have a good pile. I'd be like, Robert, you need to dry the dishes. And his response was, I'll let them drip dry. He's sitting over there watching the Atlanta Braves play baseball, taking a ticket, and I'm working here sweating because of the hot water. I didn't feel joy. I did get really good at stacking dishes, by the way. And you can ask my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging, but I'm really, really good at it. My brother's taking a ticket. I'm working my butt off. Did I feel warm fuzzies toward my brother in that moment? Yes or no? No. So what happens next is completely understandable. Check out what Martha says. Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. In other words, Jesus, my sister's taking a ticket. I'm working my butt off. I'm doing this for you, by the way. I'm not sure you care, but like obviously she's being lazy, so tell her to get her rear end in here and help me right now. But watch Jesus' response in verse 41. It says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about how many things? Many things. In this moment, as Martha's living like this, got to get one more thing, got to get the house swept, got to get the food done. Got to have the lamb perfectly medium rare because that's the way God would eat it. Is she filled with joy in this moment over Jesus being in her house? No. Spiritually, she's not filled here. She's depleted. Relationally, is she filled with a lot of love towards her sister right now or the other guests in her home? 
No. In fact, reading between the lines, you can pick up that seems like she's actually kind of bitter about it. And maybe even bitter that Jesus is there in the first place. Maybe even regretting even asking him to show up. Because she's probably like, and I mean, I would have thought like this if I was in her shoes. Well, man, if, I, if I'd known I was going to do all the work, I wouldn't invite him over to start with. She's spiritually depleted. Relationally, she's not in a healthy place here. And physically, she's worried. She's stressed. She's anxious. She's upset. Her heart's probably beating a little faster. Her blood pressure is probably rising. Her body heat is probably going up a little bit. Why? Many things. Many things. When life becomes about the many things, when life becomes about the full calendar, a lot of times in the name of doing good stuff, we don't get joy. We don't live with love. We get stress. We get worry. We get anxiety. We're spiritually depleted, relationally shallow, physically exhausted. Trying to do one more thing. Then watch what Jesus says next. Verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What was the one thing that was necessary? It wasn't being a great host. It wasn't making a great meal. It wasn't having a clean house. It wasn't doing all the other stuff. The one thing that Jesus said was necessary was the very thing that Mary was doing, which was, regardless of cultural expectations, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being fully present and engaged with Jesus, living in the fact that the Son of God is in her house and for the rest of her life, she can do dishes and cook food and clean. But this moment is way too important for her to go and do the everyday average stuff. So she says, no matter what else is going to happen, I'm going to sit here at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about. Because a full life, as it turns out, is not about all the other stuff that we cram into life. A full life is about one thing, about one relationship, and that's a relationship with Christ. And ultimately, if you were to define a full, abundant life, a full life, a truly full life, truly abundant life, is a life that is free to linger with Jesus. That's what a full life is. A full life is one where you are free to linger with Jesus. You're not trying to cram in Jesus. Because in this life, you know what you have to do to Jesus? You have to cram him in. You have to shoehorn him in there. You don't really have time to enjoy being with Jesus. You don't really have time to like let him get down into your soul and do some deep work. No, it's crammed in there. 
And let me just be really super clear here. Like, like lingering with Jesus is not, well, I've got to sit with my Bible for 30 minutes. It can be that. Lingering with Jesus is, I've got some time. And in this time, I'm undistracted. I am focused. And I'm going as slow as possible as I can with the Lord. And whether that means that He gives me earth-shattering insights or whether He takes me deep into one verse or whether I, quote-unquote, don't get anything out of it, I have been in the presence of Christ and there's nothing better. And no matter what else happens today, no matter what else needs to get done, man, the one thing is being with Jesus. It's lingering with Him. It's going at His pace. And His pace is not this. His pace is not efficiency all day long. His pace is not 100 miles an hour with your hair on fire from dusk to dawn. His pace is a walk. Isn't it interesting that pastors for generations have always referred to a walk with Jesus and not a run with Jesus? It's called the pace of abiding is not a spiritual sprint. The pace of abiding is a spiritual walk. It is slowing down. It is lingering with Jesus. And lingering means two primary things. First is this. Lingering is going slow enough to stay connected to Jesus. It is going slow enough physically and having enough mental margin where you persistently and consistently come back to this idea throughout the day that man, no matter what else is going on, I have Jesus and that's enough. That's perfect. That's everything I need. And no matter what other craziness is happening, man, I'm fully satisfied in Christ. Lingering means the pace of your life is slow enough to connect with Jesus. When this is our life, man, Jesus becomes a checkbox in the morning and you forget about him till the next morning. And y'all, I've been there. I remember being like that. I was like that as a pastor for years. And there's a better way. It requires saying no to some stuff, to some really good stuff. It requires getting some things off your calendar. It requires you disappointing some people. Just like Mary did. But it's the better way. Because when you go slow enough to stay connected with Jesus, He fills you spiritually with eternal, abundant joy. He enables you to deeply love people and genuinely impact your, your, their lives. But in order to really love people and genuinely impact their lives in a positive, eternally lasting way, you've got to do something different there, which leads to the second way we'll um, define lingering. It's this. Lingering is going slow enough to be fully present with people. And by the way, that includes fully present with Jesus when you do spend intentional time in His Word. You're fully present. You're fully engaged. Let me ask you this. Your day-to-day life. How fully engaged are you with the people closest to you? 
spouse, your kids, when you're at work, you're, you're on work, you're fully engaged with those people. When you have, we have conversations here on Sunday morning, are you fully engaged in that or have we moved kind of to, well, man, it's, it's just on to the next thing. Let's, let's kind of do the church thing, then it's out to lunch, then it's the groceries, then it's the chores. No, 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 no. That's not the pace of the Holy Spirit, folks. Jesus wants us slow enough to stay connected to Him. And when we stay connected to Him, it changes the pace of the rest of our life to where we go slow enough to be fully present with people. And when we're fully present with people, we identify how to love them. We identify how to serve them. And in the process, we really do begin to live a life that has an eternal impact in the lives of others. But man, we got to slow down. So what we're going to do this morning, um, we're going to stand in a moment and we're going to sing. And usually we have like some different options where I invite you all to, to move and respond like that. But today specifically, I just want you to stay, stay where you are for, for this last song. Stay where you are. Don't think about what's coming next. Don't think about lunch. Don't think about the afternoon. And be fully present and fully engaged with Jesus in this moment. And if you can take that moment and play it out into the rest of your life where you do go slow enough to stay connected with Jesus and you go slow enough to be fully present with people, it will change you. God will work through you to change others.